and welcome to the September 2019 edition of the Aon Pensions podcast, Retirement Market Update. I'm your host, Victoria Panormo, and today I'll start with the pensions news, and then I'll be joined by Aon's Tom and Harvey to discuss support for retiring DB members. To the news! Longevity swap market. HSBC has announced a £7 billion longevity swap involving the HSBC Bank UK Pension Scheme and Prudential Insurance Company of America using an HSBC captive entity in Bermuda to structure the deal. Aon advised HSBC in Bermuda, the second largest ever deal of its type. This landmark transaction represents another step forward in terms of innovation with capture structures and other types of insurance structures, now enabling even the largest schemes to access the reinsurance market in an efficient manner. Single Code of Practice If you've been counting, TPR now have 15 Code of Practice. The Pension Regulator's Code of Practice gives practical guidelines on how to comply with the legal requirements of pensions regulation. A formal consultation on a single Code of Practice is expected later this year, and TPR said it will engage with stakeholders for feedback on the proposed design and content. This comes as the watchdog wants to ensure that it is setting clear and consistent expectations for all the schemes it regulates. Under the regulations, trustees are expected to have an effective system of governance that is proportionate to the size, nature, scale and complexity of their scheme. TPR have said that this system will need to include a documented risk assessment and the single code will reflect its expectations of this work. TPR intends to make the codes quicker to find, use and update so that pension scheme trustees and managers can be more responsive to changes in regulations. Flexibility for doctors. Senior NHS clinicians could be offered an option to reduce the rate at which they build up their pension and receive cash in place of their pension given up. This is apparently in response to the doctors refusing to work overtime because of the pensions tax implications of the tapered annual allowance. The tapered annual allowance was introduced from the tax year 2016-17. The standard allowance is 40,000, but for those earning over 150,000, they are subject to a lower tapered allowance, as low as 10,000 pounds for those earning over 210,000. By working overtime, doctors were reducing their tapered annual allowance, thus increasing the tax due on their pension. And as overtime is non-pensionable in the NHS scheme, they were effectively reducing their pensions by working additional hours. The government will soon consult on whether senior clinicians should be offered the option to allow them to build their NHS pension more gradually over their career by making steadier contributions towards their pension without facing significant tax charges. Incorrect RPI. The UK statisticians used incorrect fuel prices to calculate RPI in April, producing a reading that was lower than it should have been. They had reported a figure of 3% when in fact the outcome would have shown annual price increases of 3.1% if it had been calculated properly, according to a statement from the ONS. However, in line with the published revisions policy for consumer price inflation statistics, 
I assume you've all read it, but for those of you who haven't, this error will not be corrected in the published RPI series. There is no impact on CPI, both including and excluding housing costs. A full review of the price compilation procedure for fuel prices in RPI will take place to ensure that this error does not occur again. If you'd like more information on any of these areas, I'll include contact details at the end. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast series through your smartphone via iTunes and Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Welcome to the interview part of the podcast. In 2015, George Osborne announced Freedom and Choice, boosting Lamborghini's marketing campaign. Today, we'll focus on the impact experienced by DB members. Part of the radical changes introduced by the government was a mandatory requirement for advice to prevent members of DB schemes transferring against their own best interests. Despite this, significant numbers of DB members have transferred to DC schemes. Since Mr Osborne started the engine, trustees have been increasingly concerned about the advice being given by IFAs on DB transfers. Concerns hit the front pages with British Steel. Today I have with me Tom Williams and Harvey Rana from Aon's member options team. Hello. Hello. Hello, Victoria. Please feel free to introduce yourselves to our listeners. Hello, I'm Harvey Rana. I'm an actuary and pensions consultant in the retirement practice at Aon. I advise trustees of defined benefit pension schemes and the trustees that I work with are increasingly talking more about providing support for members and carrying out member options exercises and this is what led me to become more interested in this area. I'm Tom Williams. I'm one of our member options experts here at Aon and I spend the majority of my time answering the question from clients of what support should we put in place for our members and taking that a step further and thinking about what exercises we can run to proactively engage with them. Okay, so let's get stuck in. Um, In my introduction, I mentioned pensions freedoms. Uh, What's happened? What's happened since 2015? Okay, that's a a good one to start with. Um, A lot at Victoria. So um, we're about four years into pensions freedoms now. That means we've got a lot of data and statistics behind this. So to throw a few stats out there, as I mentioned, I'm an actuary. Uh, So we've had 60 billion transferred out of UK defined benefit pension schemes. That's 160,000 members who have transferred out. So we're talking huge numbers. What that's meant is this is hugely high profile and it's hit the front pages of the papers, which is pretty rare for pensions. And with that, there's been a lot of change in the market. The IFA market's having to react and that's also got it up trustees' agendas. So everybody's talking about this at the moment. Okay, so I think you've mentioned a couple there, but let's cover exactly why transfers and more so the topic of financial advice, I guess, is getting so much attention. So I think it's getting so much attention because it's so real. So we spend a lot of our time talking with trustees and sponsors about actuarial items, but really this is something to do with your members and something they can directly influence. And everyone can relate to it. Everyone can think about what support I would like at retirement. Would I trust an independent financial advisor? And how would I like this process to feel if I was going through this? So that's why I think it's generating so much discussion. 
also from a trustee point of view, um, the priority is protecting members' benefits. So members have been contributing to their pension schemes their whole life. Um, and if they end up making an incorrect decision at retirement and end in, ending up with something that they don't value, it really doesn't work. Tom, I saw on LinkedIn you've spent a little bit of time reading FCA consultation recently. That, that's true. Um, I think a little bit of time's an understatement. So on my recent journey from um, London to Amsterdam on the Eurostar, Fancy. <laughs> I thought I would read on the way out there and not on the way back a uh, the 160-page FCA consultation on defined benefit transfer advice and the actions they're looking to take to improve the quality of that advice. So that took about four hours. I guess some of the key takeaways from what the FCA is proposing is the, well, the main one being a ban on contingent charging. That what that means is that independent financial advisors will no longer be able to have a charging structure whereby they're only paid if they advise a member to transfer. And the reason they're doing this is to remove the conflict um, so that when, a when they advise a member, they're doing that solely in the member's best interests and not for money in their own pocket. So this is what happened to British Steel, right? It's part of what happened to British Steel. The reason British Steel hit the press was because there was concerns over the quality of advice that members were being provided and the way that members were being approached by some of these rogue IFAs in the market. Um, so they were going out to members, making them aware that they had a pot of money they could potentially transfer, saying their first advice session was free and then only charging them if they were to actually transfer that money away from the British Steel scheme. So Harvey, if I was thinking about this from a trustee or even a member perspective, where do we start? How do we approach this? From a member perspective, it's really difficult. There's around over 3,000 IFA firms. And how do you choose a credible one that will give you good advice? Um, and this is something that we often find trustees asking us and we've been helping them choose a credible IFA that members can approach if they wish to do so. Okay, so there's over 3,000 IFAs out there in the wider market, but what differentiates the ones that kind of your clients are dealing with? I assume there are benefits for a preferred IFA being appointed by a scheme. I mean, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking the IFA will know the scheme better than dealing with different schemes every day for every member. Do you, do you want to talk a bit about the advantages of, of a preferred IFA? Uh, yes, absolutely. So when trustees or companies appoint an IFA, um, first of all, the trustees and companies go through a due diligence process where they ensure that the IFA is good quality and will provide credible advice to their members. And then there is a period of learning and education where the IFA gets to know the scheme well. So by the time the members approach the IFA, the IFA already knows how the scheme benefits work. Chances are that they've already set up um, the coding for them to work out whether or not the transfer value, for example, is good value for money for the member. So it saves time there. It also saves money for whoever ends up paying for the IFA advice. So trustees and employers can often negotiate preferential rates with the IFAs, um, regardless of who is paying. So that's another advantage there. And I think Harvey made a great point there on fees. And I think this is the, the real driver. So, I mean, the FCA's recent review, they've come out and said it's not uncommon uh, for them to see um, fees out there of two to three percent of the size of the transfer value um, 
So when you're looking at average transfer value, this means that members or sponsors or trustees are paying three to £10,000 for a member to receive advice in this area. Um, we, when working with trustees, are able to negotiate rates down for members to about 650 to £1,000 quite consistently. Whether the trustee or the employer is meeting the costs or not, there's a huge benefit to the member there that they know they're engaging with a reputable IFA. They've got their contact details to call them. They're almost expecting them to call them. And when they do come to pay, that is a preferential rate that they'll be paying. I think it would be useful at this stage to to talk a little bit about what some of your clients are doing. The majority of my clients are actually doing something in this space. And there's a big spectrum about what doing something looks like. But the way I like to start the conversation with all of them is let's take out your retirement pack. So let's actually start to put you in the room as trustees or sponsors in the shoes of the member and think about what you're currently telling them and potentially the barriers they're facing if they were to make an informed decision with the support that you've currently got in place. I think that's a great starting point. And then from there, you can start to talk about, do we want to improve the communications? Do we want to put in place online tools? Or actually, are our members falling down when they're considering a transfer value and they don't know who to call or they're calling an IFA and they're being quoted really high fees. So I'd encourage all schemes out there, whatever size, and I've done this with schemes that are getting two retirements a month to those that are getting thousands a month, that they should be looking at first principles about what we send out to our members and why and making an active decision from there about what they should do next. So there are some schemes out there who are doing the bare minimum um, and providing only statutory information to their members, but I've seen a clear direction of travel towards providing greater support. Um, And as Tom said, the support comes in various shapes and sizes. So on my clients, for example, a lot of schemes are firstly starting to improve the way they communicate with their members by making the communications more engaging and more helpful. Um, And then schemes are incorporating technology into their communication strategies. And uh, one of the reviews commissioned by the pensions regulator earlier this year actively encourages schemes to use digital communication and not automatically use paper as default. Um, And members are expecting this now. So banking, shopping, getting a mortgage, etc. can all be done online. So why can't retirement planning also be done online? Ultimately, I don't think there's any single right answer um, for how much support schemes should provide. And it's important to know your membership well, understand their needs, and then work out the best way you can help them that works for everybody. It's important not to forget the enormity of the decision that members are making here, either as part of a bulk offer or at retirement. The average transfer value quoted by the FCA in their paper was £350,000. Now let's compare that to the average house price in the UK of just over £200,000. You can start to see how this is a life-changing decision for the member and also one that's irrevocable. Once they've made that choice, they can't go back. And therefore, if ever questioning what support we should put in place for members, I think it's important to put yourself in the shoes of the member and think about what support you would like if you were making that decision. It strikes me as interesting that our audience is largely trustees and sponsors. What takeaways do you want to leave them with? Firstly, you've got to be having this conversation. 
And you've got to continue to be having this conversation because this is a fast paced area and something you may be decided as a trustee board or a sponsor a year, two years ago, likely needs to be revisited now because the market is the market is changing. I remember an exercise we ran at the Aeon Pensions Conference last year, I think it was, where you as a table got to put yourself in the shoes of an IFA and decide what was best for Joe Bloggs, the member. Yes, I, me- I remember that one well. And I've, I've since run it with various clients as well outside of the, the pension conference. And you always get a huge range of opinions on your tables. Um, on this topic, everyone has a view, I think is the is what's obvious. And I think some of the key points I took away from those experiences are that those around the table realize there's a lot you probably don't know about your members. And it's those facts that actually might be the ones that lead a member down a certain path of whether to stay in the scheme or whether to transfer. Also, that there's a lot of information for the IFA to digest in these situations. And it's not an easy job. We had differing opinions on the tables, credible points on both sides. Um, and therefore, there isn't really a single right answer always to, to any of this. And you will probably get a different outcome depending on which advisor you engage with, which I think brings back to another reason why some trustees and sponsors are putting in place preferred IFA is to actually try and bring a bit of consistency about the level of advice that their members are receiving. Because um, we mentioned earlier, that there are 3000 IFA firms out there that can provide this advice. Actually, within that, there's over 6000 IFAs that can actually provide that individual advice. So you've got a huge range there of people that your members could engage with. So actually having a, a single preferred IFA with a all taking a consistent approach and culture can really help ensure consistency in the advice that's being provided. Yes, that exercise always proves useful. And we've run it for one of my clients actually, who've actually on the back of that put in place a preferred IFA. And as Tom said, there really is no single right answer. So it is really important to know your membership well, to understand their needs, and then work out the best way you can help them that works for everybody. This feels like this is an issue that's that's going to stick around until trustees make an active decision and as you've said actually doing nothing is still an active decision and they they need to perhaps give members the guidance that they need and they deserve sounds like some of your clients are doing some interesting things actually running the, one of those sessions like we did at the Aon Pensions Conference isn't a bad idea for a for a trustee meeting sounds quite fun I think that's all that's left for me to do is to thank you for coming in so Tom Harvey thank you very much thank you thank you very much That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the latest edition of the Aon Pensions podcast with me, Victoria Panormo, and my guests, Tom Williams and Harvey Rana. If you'd like more information on our retirement solutions or you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact me on victoria.panormo at aon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website or email talktous at aon.com. 